Hello everyone, welcome to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on this evening. Hope everybody's doing well. If you're listening to this, you're listening to my very next episode with, uh, lucky to have an interview this evening with Coach Rodriguez from Akron. He is the offensive line coach there. Thanks for joining me, Coach. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Well, I'm, as we were talking a little bit beforehand, uh, we talked a little bit about your background, but I want to dive into your current role at Akron first, uh, just because I think it's important to talk about what you guys are doing there. And uh, you currently serve as the run game coordinator, uh, offensive line coach. Uh, how, how is that working? How, how is it working for you at Akron and in the MAC? I mean, it's great. Um, uh, we love it. Um, really, really, really enjoy being at Akron. And um, it's funny, I was talking to another friend of mine uh, just yesterday, coaches in the NFL, which is first starting training camp this week. And he, he's asking me how it's going and stuff. And it's like, just, you know, I'm 41 years old. I'm, I'm in year 16 of coaching college football. Um, so we just want to get to a place where you work for good people, uh, who stand for the right things, do things the right way, you know, care for, care for the young men in the program, uh, recruit character, you know, those kind of things. And I think that's what we're doing here at Akron. So, uh, you know, we're really excited about where we are right now. You know, we, we just, you know, going into year two training camp, essentially we're about a week away from our first practice right now. Um, and we're, there's a lot of buzz. And we're really excited about year two. You know, we've, we've, we've kind of we talked a little bit earlier, you know, before we were on air, and we kind of, you know, flipped the roster, you know, pretty significantly the last two cycles, um, and you know, upgraded our talent, uh, upgraded our, our our attention to detail, uh, had really leaned our culture as much as you possibly can, um, and we're really really excited about where we are with the pieces we have and the people we have. Um, to kind of, you know, really take a big step and, 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 and show that, uh, that Akron football is going to be a, no longer a doormat, you know, in the MAC conference going forward. Absolutely. And this is your first year serving as the run game coordinator. What, what all does that position entail for you? Um, you know, I think it's different for different places. Um, so this is my second time having that title for Coach Moorhead. Because uh, at, 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 uh, at Fordham, which was his first time as head coach, I was also his offensive line coach, and eventually his running coordinator. Um, so, you know, we don't we, we, we don't game plan uh, in silos. We game plan all together as an offensive staff. So essentially, what that looks like is, you know, on Mondays of a regular Saturday game week, you know, we're going to spend you know twelve or so hours, <laughs> you know, right. in the staff room. Uh, you know, watching the cutups, you know, watch, you know, uh, tracking tendencies, figuring out, you know, kind of what, you know, what gives us defense problems. You know, and more, but more importantly, what do we do? How does that kind of fit into it? Um, and then, you know, as a run game coordinator, um, it's kind of, I guess, ultimately, my uh, responsibility to, you know, provide the right kind of um, suggestions, uh, provide. Uh, evidence or backup or, you know, uh, information as to why I think those are going to work uh, based off of, you know, how, what we do well and what they don't do well, you know, as you're calling it. Um, and then also um, I, where I think that role really has, at least the way we're structured, has the most value is not necessarily in the game planning process because, you know, like, 
we don't do a ton of stuff uh, offensively. We just try to do, you know, the same things really well and just kind of formate them differently and use tempo and different tempos and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but where I think it really, you know, if you have a good running coordinator or a good offense coordinator, whatever it is, where I think that really kind of helps and shows um, is on game day with in-game adjustments. And I don't mean halftime adjustments because that's usually about it's too, too late already, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, literally, like, they're, they're giving us more of this front or this movement or this pressure or this alignment than we thought. Um, I'm not sure that this is necessarily the best way to attack that, but this might be. You know, and, and, and you got to have a, 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 a good, really healthy knowledge and understanding of your system and the wrinkles therein and kind of, you know, what gives it problems and then also what gives what they're giving you problems. Um, and I think that's one thing we do a really good job on our staff is, you know, in between drives, we're constantly talking to Coach Moorhead, you know, Coach Fessler, who's our quarterback coach and also our office coordinator, hey, that, you know, what we like, what we don't like, we got to change. You know, what should we do more of? Um, and that's both in the run and pass game and protection as well. Um, and we live with a pretty good dialogue uh, on our side of the ball on the headset on game day, which really, really helps. Absolutely. And I, I'm a former head coach, like we were talking about before. I, I don't want you to like dive into schematics here, but how do you improve on last season's rushing numbers? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. It's, it's, it's probably the quote-unquote, you know, million-dollar question we'll ask ourselves, you know, all through the offseason and all through uh, spring ball and summer and everything. Um, the, the very first thing uh, is not necessarily about players or plays, it's about mentality. Um, you know, I think with when you take over a program that um, has had as many issues for as long as Akron has, um, you know, it, it, it's almost seen as almost like a systemic issue in a way, you know. Um, so, you know, Coach Moore had a really good analogy, but you know, it's almost like, you know, you buy a house and there's just fires everywhere. And you really can't worry about the fire, you know, in the trash can, in the driveway out front, when there's a, when there's a fire in your bedroom or a fire in the kitchen or a fire in the living room. Let's put those fires out first. And then we'll get, we'll get to the one out the driveway. And I think that we were probably so focused on putting out those fires and, 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 you know, when I say fires, I mean just getting 11 guys on the field all running the same play at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Year one with a lot of turnover, transfers, freshmen, you know, some, you know, some, some guys who retained. Um, just execution, I think, was probably such a, such a, uh, a challenge for us that we probably didn't do a good enough job of coaching you know, physical and mental toughness, finish, strain, those things that are really, really, really important to good offensive line play and having a good run game, you know. Because um, quite frankly, when you go back and look at the film, although we, we didn't have a ton of success running the football last year, we really weren't running a lot of bad plays and bad looks per se. The numbers were equal or in our favor. The angles, for the most part, were equal in our favor. We just weren't doing a good – a great job of holding, sustaining, and streaming, finishing blocks, runs, plays, games, so on and so forth. Um, so the number one thing that we've tried to address with our whole team, but specifically our offense and especially our offensive line, is 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 having you know much better intent, much better effort, much better stream, and being able to finish. And if you finish enough blocks, you finish enough drives, 
it's helped me finish games a lot better too. Because you know, one thing you know, it's kind of a, it's all kind of a microcosm of each other. We were two and ten last year, um, and we, we were we had five conference losses over by seven points or less. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we had to lead in four of those games in the fourth quarter. So obviously, finishing is a was a big issue for us last year, and was a big point of emphasis for us going forward. You know, this off season and into the season. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, and I think if, if we just get that alone fixed, that'll, 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 should show tremendous growth and, and improvement, you know, in our run game this year. Then you add in, you know, the schematics of, you know, okay, what are we doing schematically? What are we asking guys to do? What do they do really well? Um, you know, what, what, what strains the defense as much as possible and takes some pressure off of the individual blocks? Um, and that's kind of, that's what we're still trying to figure out. And I, I know we'll have a pretty good idea of coming out of training camp. It's kind of, you know, are we an inside zone team? Are we a, a gaps team team? Are we an outside zone team? Are we a pin and pull team? Are we a draw team? You know, who knows? Um, because, you know, the players are different every year. We, we had a lot of guys that we're going to count on to play winning football for us this season who weren't even on the team um, during spring practice because of the portal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to figure out who we are first uh, and then go from there. But – our identity in terms of being, you know, uh, a tough and physical and, and finishing mindset that has to carry over everything we do to every player in the program. Absolutely. Yeah. What? This is your second uh, time working with uh, Coach Moorhead, and mm-hmm. I, I think me saying he's an offensive mastermind is kind of uh, not giving him all the credit he deserves because he's a great football coach. But what's yeah. it like working for him? It's awesome. I'll tell you a story which I think might illustrate maybe not so much what an offensive mastermind he is, but definitely what a great person and, and, and head coach uh, he is. So it, we have one really, really cool kind of thing going on on our offensive staff here. Every member of our, every full-time coach on our offensive staff um, has either played or has coached and in one case played for Coach Moorhead, um, at some point in time, at, at, at a different place along the way. So, for example, like our tight ends coach, Coach Reno Faree, was a GA here and also coached running backs um, at Akron uh, back when Coach Moore had his first uh, opportunity to coordinate back in like 05, 05 to 07, or 05 to 08, I think it was, here at Akron. So, infancy of his system, right? Um, and then Coach Richardson, our running backs coach, coached with him at UConn after Akron from 09 to uh, 11 and at Mississippi State in, uh, in 28 and 2019. So he's going twice before. And then after UConn, he went to Fordham, and I worked for him before. For, for, that's his first time as a head coach where you know, no one could tell him what he could or couldn't do because he, he, was, he was the boss, right? Um, and then our, and then, from, and then he leaves Florida goes to Penn State. Well, our our quarterbacks coach, Coach Fessler, was a walk on quarterback for him at Penn State. And then Joe hired him as a GA at Mississippi State a couple years later. And now he's working for us here. And then the last part of that is Coach Gilbertson, our receivers coach, uh, worked with him at Oregon most recently before he came back. So literally at every juncture, every time that the system has pivoted. At a different place, we have someone that's been there with them, as almost like a, almost like a living, breathing kind of like bibliography of, of the system, right? 
which is that, that, that in itself is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but the reason why I said is because, so when we first all got together in the office after signing day last year, okay, like we got to create our playbook, create, create our system, like what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to call, you know, inside zone? What are we going to call, you know, a slant route? What are, what's our cadence? That kind of stuff. Even before we did that, what we did was we had a week in the office and every member of the offensive staff had a day, essentially, where they had a chance to present to the rest of the staff something or some things that they had been exposed to, had had done, had run, wherever, uh, at somewhere along the way that they thought would benefit the system. And they had, you know, they had to have cut-ups and, you know, presentations and PowerPoints to, to, to present it to the staff. And we actually took three, four, five things that came out of those different studies, and they're in the system right now that they were not prior to. And we had, you know, st- stuff from Ohio State when Coach Russell was a GA there, stuff from Syracuse when Coach Reno was coaching there, stuff from FIU when I was at FIU, and so on and so forth. So my point about that is, like, you know, Joe could have easily said, hey, listen, guys, you know, you're out of the system. It's my system. You know, it's a this job. We're going to run it. Go learn it. Here's the playbook from Oregon. Just copy paste that, put it, slap it if you love on it, and we're gonna do that. But he's so um, kind of eager to learn and, and, and wants to know how other people are doing different things and, and make sure that he's constantly evolving as a as a, as an offensive play call. That he want he wanted to hear those ideas and and, and not only hear them but also implement them, uh, which is really really cool. So you know, on top of being obviously you know a savant. In terms of of offensive football, um, he's also hungry for new ways of doing things, new ideas, uh, you know, new techniques, you know, whatever it may be, which is really cool. That is really cool because you hear stories sometimes of coaches who are just very set in their ways. Absolutely, yeah, I've worked for those those guys before, and that's fine. Like you couldn't fault him for being that way; just had some success, right? Yeah, but yeah, just it's, it's it's really really cool. Well, with camp starting in about a week, you said, what What does a day in the life, in your life for camp look like? Well, camp, as you know, as you, you probably know, it's, it's, it's the busiest mm-hmm. in terms of hours and, and, and whatnot, you know, part of the whole year. Um, you know, uh, at least when you're, when you're, when you're on campus. So, um, we practice... We're an afternoon practice team. I know it's, it, it, it used to be everybody was now probably over half the country's in the morning. Um, but, but, but we like going in the afternoons. But during training camp, we will practice in the mornings just because, you know, it's, it's obviously warmer, it's more, it's more humid. This time of year than it is, you know, in, in October, November. Um, and we want to, you know, be safe with our guys and give them the best chance to rehydrate and give them the most amount of hours possible between practices and off their feet. So we'll come in the mornings, um, you know, probably, probably between six and seven as a staff, have a staff meeting. Um, you know, say this happens at seven o'clock. We'll, we'll be in there before seven, probably by six, late at 6.30. There's always a couple things you got to get done before the staff meeting, right? You know, you got to fix this cut up for, for the meetings later on in the day. You got to, you know, make some notes for your meetings or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll, the day we'll always start with the staff meeting, say 7 a.m., um, and then, our, and then uh, that'll go for, you know, sometimes we're 15 minutes, sometimes we're an hour long, just depends on the day and kind of what's on the docket. Um, and then usually our kids uh, will be will be in the building 
around 7.30, they'll, they'll have practice in the building, that kind of stuff, you know, taping, dressing, treatment, that kind of stuff, getting ready for practice. We'll have meetings at like 8 a.m., um, you know, to either review the previous day's film or install the next, what's up for that day or both, depending on the kind of schedule. Um, and then we'll go, up, we'll go out there and practice, usually like around like from like 9.30 to like 11.30-ish, will be our practice window before it gets really hot outside. Um, and you know, it's training camp. Those are, those are those are practices where you're, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, you're 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 overemphasizing toughness and, and physicality and finish, and so those are not easy practices, right? For sure, as a player, but as a, as a coach, either, you know, because you're, you're you're demonstrating stuff and you're and you're coaching effort and, and, and you're getting into it, and so it's it's pretty draining, you know. Um, and then, you know, so from that point forward, now that after practice is over, if there's an NCAA mandate, which I think is a really good thing that there can't be anything outside of like treatment or lunch. There can't be anything active that is mandatory for three hours after practice. Got to give guys a chance to get off their feet, you know, and recover and that kind of stuff. And I think even if that wasn't a mandate, we would do it, but it's good that it's a mandate anyways. Uh, so, you know, from... You know, eleven thirty or so, twelve to about you know maybe twelve thirty one. We're gonna you know shower up. You know, maybe get a quick workout or something in. If you got a player to head, he'll just with you do that after practice. Um, and then we'll go upstairs and we'll start. We'll, we'll grab a quick bite and we'll start watching the practice tape um, as an offensive defense uh, while the players you know get off their feet, go take a nap, go lay up, go do something. You know, just get off their feet for for a while, and then we'll bring them back. Uh, you know, late afternoon, said so around like four five o'clock. You know, either for like a lift or like that's some kind of recovery stuff. You know, meetings uh, to watch the film. Um, then we'll have dinner, um, and then we'll come back and have some more meetings. Usually, that's kind of to get ready for the next day, like kind of like preview what's going to be installed the next day's practice, uh, or if just finish up the film from the previous day's practice, depending on kind of you know where you are in terms of camp. And the kids get are done at that point. So usually, like, you know, probably around 8 o'clock or so, the kids are getting done for the day, and they're going home. Um, and then usually we always have, you know, another another hour or so work to get done, you know, again, to, to be prepped as much as possible for the next day. Uh, or maybe some recruiting you got to take care of. You, gotta, you know, make a few phone calls, mm-hmm. you know, a few FaceTimes, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... it's you're not getting back home usually till sometime nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, maybe. And then you're, you're, you know, you're in a couple hours and you're back up in the office, you know, six, seven next morning. So it's um, that part. You know, camp can be, can be a grind as far as that goes. Now, camp nowadays you have you have mandatory days off once a week. You know, and then you know that's a chance for coaches to sleep in a little bit and come in a couple hours later. So you're not you're not constantly running that that schedule, you know, six a.m. to ten p.m. every single day for twenty five days straight. Mm-hmm. Um, but but more than not, you are. Yeah. It's it's not a role for uh, the we- uh, the weary. Let's just say. No, no, and I, I'll tell you, it, it's it, it, you know I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm in year, I'm going into year sixteen, so it's it's almost like kind of like second nature now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have vivid memories of my very first training camp as a GA. 2007 uh, at Ole Miss, and really like <laughs> about four or five days. In, well, this happened probably like ten times throughout the course of that that first season. But like 
really made me wonder, like, well, do I really want to do this for a living? <laughs> it's really, like, this is really how I want to spend my, my life. Um, and I'm obviously really happy I chose to say yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I think, I think, I think in a weird kind of sadistic way, we kind of like it that way, you know, because it does kind of really kind of challenge you and make you say, yeah, I really do want it. It, it, it makes you, it makes you prove to yourself as a coach and player, yes, I really do want this and, I, and I'm worthy. Uh, yeah, I paid the price you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to have this. Absolutely. What What should fans expect from Akron this season? Really good question. You know, I th- I, I kind of touched on it earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they should expect a much more uh, mentally and physically tough, um, much more gritty uh, team that's going to really, really um, not cower. Uh, in those tough, you know, end of game situations, um, but but it's instead, you know, kind of like relish those and look for those and and, and lean in on those because um, I think that's what, that's what the great teams and the great competitors do. Um, I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm a um, anyone that knows me or follows me on social media will tell you this. I'm a huge Miami Heat fan. Um, so I I grew up in Miami in the '80s. I was born in '82, and the Heat became an expansion team in 88. So I literally, and I grew up in basketball. So I literally grew up with the Heat as like the end-all, be-all. And we had some pretty bad years in those early years <laughs> with, with Ronnie Cycling and John Sumbold and those guys. Um, but obviously, you know, you, you, when you say Miami Heat now, everyone thinks of Heat culture. Yep. Right? What is Heat, what is heat culture? It's toughness. It's grittiness. It's it's whatever whatever it takes. Right? You know, ugly, win pretty, rebound, play deep, like all those things, right? Like, like being so comfortable and almost like, almost like, uh, like it, like, like, uh, like a defiant, um, expectation almost of, of, of really, really competitive, hard things, you know? Um, and I, and I think we want to, we're trying really, really hard on a daily basis to build a program at Akron that kind of mirrors that. Now they're going to be the heat. I'm not saying that, you know, but you know, a team that, 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 that day in, day out when you walk in that building or every Saturday when you walk into the Central Stadium, you know when you're in for a tough out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what I think, that's what I think Akron hasn't been most in, in recent years. I think you saw a small glimpse of that if you, if you, were, at, if you were at the ballpark uh, this, in Saturday's last fall, you know, how competitive you were, way more than we have been in years past. And I think that's what you can start going forward. Absolutely. You've, you've served on coaching staffs at Bryant, Fordham, Miami, and FIU. What are some of the coaching takeaways you've taken from each spot? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because probably my answer to each, each one would be, you know, because you're also so different in your, in your career and your maturity level at mm-hmm. each one of those spots, right? You know, like, um, so it'll be hard to pick one from each one that's right? That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, like, it, it's funny. I was just talking, I forgot who about this, but, like, at Bryant, right? So that's my first full-time job. I'm, like, 20, I think 25 years old, maybe. Uh, it's, you know, my first full-time job. It's their, it's their first year going from, F, from D2 to FCS. Uh, so a lot, a lot of firsts, you know, um, and I was there for four years. Listen, our first tour went seven and four, which I think tied the best record for like a year one transition from D2 to FCS. I mean, it was a really, we had a really good team, a really great bunch of guys, and a really good head coach, uh, great administration. Uh, anyways, 
but it's funny because I, I was telling someone this, I was like, I, I, I have group chats with like, you know, guys that I coach at Bryant, guys that I coach at Fordham, guys that coach, you know, everywhere else. And I, I routinely will reach out to guys that I coached at Bryant in those early years and apologize for how bad, how poorly they were coached. Because <laughs> I was, you know, just so young and inexperienced and didn't know, you know, didn't know what I didn't know. You're right, right. right. Uh, and not that you're so much better now, but you're a lot better than you were when you were 25. Right. You know? um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing I learned um, at Bryant, at least, uh, from Marty Fine, which is the head coach, but also had a career as a line coach in, in the Big Ten, Big 12 and stuff. Um, Marty taught me that, that, you know, to be comfortable being very demanding of the players. You know, as a young coach, sometimes it's hard because, you know, you want – you want them to like you. You want them to respect you. You want them to want to play hard for you. But ultimately, if you're if you're fair and demanding, but not being demeaning, obviously, right? Um, I think that's probably the best, at least for me. That's, that's kind of the best way to, to present yourself and go about your business. Um, so that's probably the best thing I learned from my time at Bryant. Uh, my time at Florida, man, I learned. Whew, I mean, that that, that was like a, that was like. like because that was Joe's first head coaching job. You know, so I was just seeing him and how he operated and how he maneuvered recruiting and administration and, you know, budget and, and, and fundraising. It was, it was so cool because, because the staff was so small, we all had a small partner, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I think what I, what I learned because Fordham was the way we coached our team was very different at Fordham than it was at Bryant was that it was, it was okay. I think I let loose and, and was more vulnerable and showed myself and was more open to my players at Fordham than I was at Bryant. And, and again, I have really, really strong relationships with so some guys who are close at Bryant, but I think I have more at Fordham just because, you know, just watching Joe and seeing how, how charismatic he was and how open he was to players and how, you know, you know, he, he dropped like rap lyrics, you know, which, which, you know, you were the head coach to do that, you know what I mean? TV or whatever, like, just that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I've kind of carried that forward, uh, you know, other places I've been. Um, you know, Miami's a hard one to answer because I was at Miami for like for like three different head coaches, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really rare. Like I, I, Al Golden hired me. And he was fired within like six months. And then Mark Rick came in, and he was amazing for, I think, for three seasons. Uh, and then Manny Diaz was promoted. Um, and I was with Manny for Manny's first year, and I left FIU. Um, so I, I probably spent the most time, uh, from a head coaching perspective, you know, under Mark Rick, uh, but I was also working for Manny pretty close too. So both those guys, it's almost like two different times I was there, you know, between Manny and, and, and Mark. But the one thing I learned, um, from Mark, you know, everyone who follows or, or, or hears of Mark Rick, you know, Everything you see in the media or that you hear about him or, or how he talks in social media or whatever it is, like a lot of people talk about, you know, being a man of God, a man of faith, a man of family, a man of morals. Um, but let's be honest, very few people are profession hard. Right. right. And a lot of, and a lot of guys are willing to fudge <laughs> their morals sometimes. Right. If, 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 if that quarterback is good enough or if that linebacker shots enough or if that, you know, passers can get, get, get full sacks sometimes. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, what's done in the, in the dark always comes to light, and you see some guys sometimes years later, it kind of bites them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from Mark Rick was, like, he walked the walk, man. Like, he definitely talked to talk. I mean, he's, you know, 
a man of God, a man of faith. By no means does he push you in his faith or a Bible thumper or anything like that. But just, I mean, he, but he, he was a living, breathing testament uh, to, you know, how a quote unquote man of God and, and, and a man who's a leader of men should act and, and carry himself and care about the, the men and the play and the boys, you know, that he is. You know, kind of in charge of. And I say boys, you know, because obviously men in terms of staff and boys and the young men, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the roster. Um, just that he was everything you hear about Mark Rick in terms of like what a person he is or what a good man. It's 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 times twenty in real life. It really, really is. Um, you know, I, I referenced Manny when we were talking earlier off air. Like, you know, one of Manny's big things was just never coach from a place of fear. Right, like have no fear. Like you know, call you know, call your game. You know, like don't don't hold back on your on your third down call because it might blitz you. Right, don't hold down. Don't, don't hold back on your 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 your, your crazy two point play call because it might it might look funny. Or like just he was so so fearless with how he approached the job and 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 uh, and his day to day you know kind of tasks and uh, and it was awesome to be a part of that. You know, and it really rubbed off on me. To be honest with you, because I, I worked. Even when Manny was an assistant, was a coordinator, I worked under him uh, for, for for two years, which was awesome. Um, really cool to kind of be on the side of the ball for a couple of years and see how the defense kind of operates. You know? um, and FIU, um, that's interesting. You know, um, I think I saw at FIU um, how important it is to have. Um, you know, an administration and a coaching staff that are truly aligned and how sometimes it can get sideways when that's not the case. Uh, everyone who follows college football kind of saw what happened when, when Coach Davis was was essentially let go or resigned. You know, he kind of had this, you know, he kind of went off on social media or, you know, went off on interviews about, you know, how bad the program was maintained and how poorly funded it was and supported and that kind of, and, there was, and, and unfortunately a lot of that was true. You know, and that's not why we lost games, but it definitely didn't help. You know, so that that was really the first time that I saw. I mean, and listen, every place you work has some dysfunctionality right. or some level of dysfunctionality. You know, but that was the first time that I saw what seemed like systemic dysfunctionality um, between an administration and a, and, a, and, a, and a coaching staff, and, it, and and really ultimately the main people who hurt the most was the players. Right. And that's the sad part. That's the sad part about it. Because that's ultimately what we're all here to give a good experience to, is the players. So. Absolutely. I, I love hearing what you said about your players at Bryant, how you text them and say, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I, 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 I got my first head coaching job when I was 23, and I was not ready. I mean, I thought I yeah. was. Of course I thought I was ready. But yeah. So I even text those, my, those girls that I coached. I, I text them like, hey, I'm sorry. So I'm glad to hear you say that too. It's 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 really really true. I, mean, I wish I was as many but it's really true. It, it's like wow, you know, like why was I drilling that that way? Why, 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 why would I phrase that that way? Or what the hell are we doing? It's just it's bad. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not. At least two of us, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, well, you you had the opportunity to play at the highest level you played in the nfl with the tennessee titans under jeff fisher how was that experience very very cool um you know it's 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 one of those experiences and one of those things you know as we get older and i'm i mentioned i'm 41 and i'm obviously not getting any younger anytime soon um 
but but it, it's it's one of those things that the um the the, the gravity of it i guess um kind of seems bigger the further you get from it you know uh you know when i first when i, when I was in the middle of it playing for you know just a year or two out of it it didn't seem like a big deal um but now looking back on it, it was, it was really cool. And I, I was only there for like two years. It wasn't there, I was there for like a long time. You know, I wasn't like a, like a first round draft pick or anything. But just, just being able to be, you know, beat the odds, being under a free agent who was undrafted, and be able to make the club and stick on um, was a really cool experience. And I was very fortunate. I had a great agent and I had a really good team that got me to a, to a great, great organization like Tennessee because there was other teams that were actually offering me more money, um, but Tennessee uh, had a better roster, roster situation. And another thing people didn't realize is Jeff Fisher made it in the NFL as an, as an, as a free agent who was undrafted, the Bears. So he has always had a soft spot in his heart for free agents. So like like when you're a, a guy who's undrafted and you were a Jeff Fisher coach football team or did. Um, like you were playing significant snaps in the preseason. Like you were getting reps, you were getting coached. Like you were a part of the team. I talked to some guys who were, you know, college teammates or like played at, um, you know, other teams who were, were I met at like ultra games or you know the combine prep and stuff. And it, it's like you know, a, a not, it's a horror story. Like oh, I just sat there and held the dummy for like you know four weeks and didn't get a rep in the preseason. Uh, like we got reps, we got coached. The same as you know, the first round draft, uh, and that's a huge testament to Jeff Fisher and also Mike Munchak, who's a legend. Who was my line coach. Um, so because of the leadership of, of Coach Fisher, you know, it was kind of like a mandate in the building. Hey, that these UDFA's are going to get a chance, and, and, and enough of us did, and we we're good enough that we made team. You know, so it was really, really good. And I, I'll be honest, I learned more football from Mike Munchak in that two years than I learned. Maybe at any point in my life before or since then, it was it was it was so amazing. My munch is like a freaking encyclopedia of wisdom and knowledge in terms of offensive line play and and, and football and just he's the absolute best. That's awesome. And then you got to play in NFL Europe, and there's not too very many people who can say that. How was that experience? That was interesting. Yeah. So the, the way the way that worked back then was um, well, there's two ways. Uh, you can be, you know, allocated essentially, right, to the league by your by your your team here in the states. So Tennessee allocated me, uh, but you also had guys that were just for ages just tried out, which is which is pretty crazy too. Um, so there was just so by the time I think I played NFL Europe like the second or third to last year that I was in existence. Um, I think it just been the cost of keeping it running across seas and the NFL and stuff just kind of the juice was worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. But by the time I got there, it was down to six teams, five of which were in Germany. So it was, it was Berlin, Hamburg, Cologne, Frankfurt, um, and I'm missing somebody. Or Rhine, the Rhine Fire, and then Amsterdam, which is just, you know, right across the, the pond there, pretty much from Germany. Um, so all six teams went to training camp in Tampa um, and practiced with each other and scrimmage and hung out and had a good time and then after like a two-week training camp you got on a plane you flew across the pond and you got to your site and then you had about another two weeks to get ready there and then the game started um you played everyone in the league twice 
uh, he played 10, 10 games. Um, it was cool, you know, living in Germany. I mean, how, how else did you say, hey, I've been living in Germany for, you know, three months, essentially, all sorts of state. So it was really neat, you know, to, to live in Berlin for, for three months and, and to see the sights and have a week off where we were able to get out and uh, go to Munich and see that and experience kind of Bavaria and you know, the southern part of Germany. Uh, and the really cool thing about NFL Europe, too, was that except for, I think, one game, because of logistics, we would uh, stay two nights for away games. So say oh, Berlin was playing cool. uh, Amsterdam, right? So say, say it was happening on Thursday. You get there on Wednesday, obviously every game, having them on Thursday, and then you really wouldn't leave until Friday morning, Friday afternoon. So, uh, and I'm not sure if it's because of logistics or because they wanted you guys to experience it, but we took advantage of it, man. You know, so, you know, you're playing Amsterdam, you're playing Hamburg, you're playing... You know, Frankfurt game is over. You know, you're back in the hotel. You're back in the hotel, take a shower, whatever. You know, call home, and you get a chance to go and, and see the sights and experience. You know, you know, uh, Frankfurt or Amsterdam or Hamburg or any one of those cities uh, first game. You know, uh, for a night, it's really really cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You you played you played on what some consider the best college football team of all time in the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. How was that experience? <laughs> that was, uh, if you're asking, so we're, we have a huge group chat in the world on actually, uh, on WhatsApp. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> if you even, if you even pose that as a question, you, you, you get a lot of flack. Uh, so we think we're the best of all time, obviously. Yes. Uh, and, and, and luckily a lot of, you know, a lot of people agree with us, which is pretty cool. Uh, it, it was, it was a really, 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 really cool and neat experience. And just, you know, talk about being in the right place at the right time, you know. Um, so I, I graduated high school. Uh, I was class of 2000. Um, you know, but, you know, my, my recruiting process happened, you know, prior to, obviously, 98, 99. And at that point, Miami really wasn't, I mean, they weren't, like, unpopular, but they weren't, like, a super popular pick. I mean, you're, you're coming off of the... The Dennis Erickson, early Bush Davis probation years, we were five and six and missing a bowl game and getting cursed on by Florida State by 47 points and, you know, beat by 50 points to Syracuse and, and all this kind of stuff. So, like, Miami was like a, a very sexy pick for some of the better players uh, in South Florida or any part of the country um, at that time. You know, at that time, you know, Florida, Florida State, you know, the fighting gun with Coach Perry in Florida and, and Coach Powder kind of had Florida State rolling with. Uh, Chris Winkie and and, um, and uh, Charlie Ward, those guys. So um, I, I kind of referenced this earlier off air, like my recruiting um, kind of deal, how I got to Miami, you know, it wasn't like you would think, like, yeah, I grew up in Miami, I want to go there. I, I, I didn't grow up, I grew up playing basketball, I didn't grow up playing football. So, like, college football was not a super big thing that we talked about or watched football in my house growing up. So I wasn't, I didn't have like allegiances to any, any college program for that matter. Um, so when the recruiting process happened, um, the reason why I chose to go to Miami over other schools was because how honest and almost brutally honest Miami and the staff was in the recruiting process. Um, you know, I had a bunch of, I won't mention names, but I had other schools and the coaches telling me, hey, you're going to come here and you're going to, you know, start as a freshman, or you're gonna, you know, be all confident as a freshman, or whatever, whatever the hell they were saying. And I was luckily pretty self-aware. I had a dad who was, you know, pretty, pretty hard on me growing up, you know. Um, 
and I was pretty self-aware. And I'm like, dude, I'm like 270 pounds coming from Wing Peak High School on offense. I'm not ready to go play in the SEC and start as a freshman. And if I am, we're going to stink. I'm going to get my butt beat, you know. Um, so I don't really want to hear that. I want to hear, you know, about you know, competition. I want to hear about getting better development, that kind of stuff. And Miami staff, Coach Tito, who had been the line coach there for like 25 years at that point, and, and Coach Davis, the head coach, and uh, Coach Shazinski was a tight end. And Coach Cristobal, who's the head coach right now, was actually the GA on offense that recruited me as well. And, you know, they told me the exact opposite. Hey, listen, bro, like, you know, we, we kind of want you. We think you'd be a good player. Uh, but you ain't playing for, like, at least three years. No way. And even then, you may not play at all. But, you know, if you work hard enough and you're tough and you're physical and you develop and you get bigger, stronger, you, you might play by the time you're right to your sophomore, right to your junior. And I was like, well, frick that. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go there and try to prove you wrong, you know. And, but, but it was just a very – it, but it wasn't said like in a derogatory way. It was just like, hey, you got to come here and work your tail off, man. I guess that, that, that's, that's what has to happen because you're not a finished product. None of us are, you know. And um, and I really kind of – that message spoke to me, you know. Um, and I felt like home there when I visited. And, and I, was, I was very lucky to be, to be local, so I was able to go multiple times and watch practices and meet some of the guys on the team and – hang out in the locker room and that kind of stuff. And uh, ultimately, I chose to go there. And it was, you know, I got there, you know, they were, they were coming off of a, like an 8-4, 8-3 season the year prior. And they won, like, the, the, the Gator Bowl or something. And then, you know, we, we beat some FCS team week one my freshman year. And then we lose at Washington week two in a, in a nail-biter. And then don't lose another game for like a calendar year and a half. That's unreal. Uh, which was which was really really cool, you know. Uh, but like just the relationships and and the names and the characters and the stories and, and 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 just the way that you mentioned culture earlier. You know, we talked talking out here about you know how you transmit culture and how do you you know, get guys to buy and stuff. Like, I mean, that was like kind of the name of the game of writing back then. Like that was like, I mean. We had some. We had a locker room full of extremely effective culture transmitters, guys that showed and talked to you about the most. The most important showed you how things were done the right way, the, the, the Miami way, mm-hmm. right? Hard work, competition, selflessness, toughness, mental, physical toughness. I mean, it was just it was. And when you combine that with guys who are obviously phenomenal athletes. And we're wired all the same way. Um, you, you get you know crazy results that we had, you know, for that for, the, for that little run that we had. <laughs> right with with all that NFL talent on the roster. I mean, there there's guys who aren't even sniffing the field to play in the NFL. How was how that practice? How was practice like then? Practice was was. I mean, most weeks practice was significantly harder than games. Because, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, okay, so even if you're in a scout team period, okay, well, you know, I mean, Calais Campbell's a scout team tackle as a, as a, as a, as a, a freshman who's redshirt, you know, or, you know, Rocky McIntosh wouldn't have been like, like a second-round draft pick. It's a John Beast a scout team linebacker, you know. Goodness uh, gracious. <laughs> you know, Kelly, Kelly Jennings in that role or scout team DBs. You know, so, you know, that, 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 so obviously there wasn't, and then same, same for the defense. I mean, on the defense scout team, I mean, I mean, you know, like you had Roscoe Parrish as a scout team receiver, you know, and, and Greg 
Foles was a scout from tight end, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, and then and then when you went to the competitive periods where it was good on good, or well, now it's like hold on to your nuts, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, because because <laughs> now they're coming because now they come after you, you know, and, and there's there, there's bribery rights and there's 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 trash talking all kind of stuff. So uh, practices were were highly competitive, um, I mean, highly competitive, uh, but not but not not to a point where it was silly or it got out of hand. I mean, fights broke out, 100 percent fights broke out. Um, but it never, it never spilled over in the locker room. It never became a personal thing. It was usually squashed pretty quickly, you know. Um, so yeah, so that I mean, it was. I mean, you, you talk about some of the position, like for example, like on the actual O one team, you know. I mean, our, the three of the starting four DBs were first round draft picks: Ed Reed, Mike Crump, and um, and Philip Buchanan. And the backups, those guys were Andrew Wool and Kelly Jennings. And Sean Taylor, <laughs> you know, so that's that's six, that's six first round draft picks um, for, for for four spots. That's you know, um, so yeah, it was. We had a really good team. <laughs> yeah, really good team. Needless to say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. So then, in two thousand two, you guys have your quest to repeat, and you mm-hmm. fall and you fall just short against Ohio State there. How was that experience? Uh, it was gut wrenching. You know, it really was. The worst part about that um, was, you know, because it was a, a, a controversial call in the red in the end zone right. over time, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. Um, but the flag came out so late that everyone, including us and including the, the, the PA announcers and people in the stadium, thought the game was over. We won. So they actually shot confetti up in the air. Uh-huh. We're all running the field. I, mean, I, I was literally rolling around on the field, hugging our kicker, Todd Seavers, with orange and green confetti all over us <laughs> uh, as, uh-huh. like, the whistles are blowing because of the, the, the uh, late flag on the field. Uh, so that part of it was gut-wrenching because like, you're essentially, you know, you're, you're, from, from, from a mindset standpoint, wow, so when we did it, we, we, kind of, we outlasted them and got done. We, we, we and then I got to go out and play, you know, four more downs. Um, so that, 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 that was hard. Um, but you know, like from, from a coaching standpoint, not being, being a coach, you look back at, you know, the way that game went and quite frankly, we didn't deserve to win. We had five turnovers, gave up, I think three or four sacks, um, had, you know, a bunch of mental breakdowns. Um, we were out, out we had more penalties than they did. I mean, just, and every, Every metric that you can slice to kind of decipher how a game is won or lost, we lost. You know, now, you know, you, you can argue, well, if you play that game 10 more times, we win nine of them. Who, who cares? That mm-hmm. one, they won. You know what I mean? And in hindsight, that Ohio State team was not, like, you know, was not a, a bad football team. I mean, uh, right. I, think, I think I think all 11 stars on defense played in the NFL. Um, and obviously, offensively, you had, you know, Maurice Claret and um, Chris Gamble and, I'm uh, forgetting the other receiver's name with one of the Saints. And, you know, obviously, Craig Grunzel had a, had a great college for his quarterback. So, I mean, they were, really good, they were a really good football team, too. I don't know that we get the respect they deserved because they reminded us so much of Nebraska the year before. And we kind of rolled them, you know, off the bus. Um, but they were a very different and much better football team than that Owen Nebraska team was. And they, they deserved to win the game that night. They absolutely did. How how was it like playing in the Orange Bowl? 
you know, the Orange Bowl was was a very, I mean, I think everyone feels like their college stadium was a very unique place, you know. Um, but it's really unique when you can say, okay, well, our home stadium has like like that 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 are, that grass or that surface has hosted what I think like probably five or six or eight college and national championships mm-hmm. and and probably the same amount of Super Bowls, you know. Um, so you, you talk about some of the greatest players that ever played college or pro football, uh, and they played uh, four championships on that field. So that was that from a historical standpoint. That if you're in, if you're a history buff or whatever, mm-hmm. that part's really really cool, you know. Um, from an environment standpoint, I mean, I think Miami in general is a very different place to play. Um, when you know when the hurricanes are good, especially. Uh, it's a very hard place to play, different than a lot of other uh, college football teams and, and, and fan bases. Because honestly, quite frankly, the, the overwhelming majority of Miami football rabid fans have no allegiance whatsoever to the, to the program. Like they didn't go to school there, they don't work there, they don't, they don't, they don't have any kind of degree from there. They're just local fans, you know. Um, and so it's almost more like a pro team. Um, fan base as far as that goes, but they're rabid and they get after you. So when the Hurricanes are good, they take a lot of pride in, in being a factor, you know, in, in, in that game and, and, and getting in the heads of the opposing team. And, and I mean, you've heard stories that, like the last time I was really, really good when I was on staff there, I think it was like 20, 2017, I think it was, or 2018. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're playing Notre Dame. We're both like ranking the top ten in the country, and they come, they come to us, and I can, they, they, they smash the bus window, and they rock the bus window, and stay. And that, that, that's that's how Miami fans are, they're crazy, you know. Um, so the, the Orange Bowl is really cool. It's a shame that that venue no longer exists because mm-hmm. there's so much history, um, and just so much. I mean, that's also the you know the the birthplace and unfortunately the ending place of the longest home ministry in college football history. It's about 58 games in a row. It's just, uh, almost a decade's worth of wins at home, you know, that, uh, consecutively. Uh, it's, 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 it's just really, really, really cool. Absolutely. And, and last question for you. As an alum, yeah. former player, former coach there, what are, what are your thoughts on 